Irish Illustrated Insider is sponsored by VisitSouthBend.com. Is it time to check a Notre Dame home game off your bucket list? Has it been too long since you've soaked in the game day atmosphere in person? Whether it's for the first time ever or in a while, start planning your trip to South Bend to watch the Fighting Irish with ideas and inspiration at VisitSouthBend.com. You're listening to Irish Illustrated Insider. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated. Pete Sampson from The Athletic joins us. We're a couple days after Notre Dame's 24-17 victory over California, visiting California. Hadn't been in town since 1967. I was at that game in 67. Very vague memories <laughs> of that. But uh, Notre Dame needed a rally from their quarterback, certainly from their running game. Uh, offensive line did a great job. Defense came through when it had to, except for that one drive in the third quarter. Uh, but man, what <laughs> I was trying to find a, a worse start from a, a, a yeah. quarterback. We all thought about Eric Chappelle from 98 in at USC. Uh, three quarterbacks were bad against Georgia Tech in the opener of, of 2007. But yeah, that one sticks out. Come wow. On. They had a lot to overcome, man. They did. And Drew Pine had a start that reminded us of the 2007 beginning to a game that offense in the first quarter it's incredible when you think it was three plays negative yardage punt three plays punt three plays two yards punt three plays five yards punt and then it got worse because he fumbled a snap to start the second quarter it's remarkable really that he ended up 17 for 23 and I don't care the machinations of 17 for 23 if he never threw the ball farther than he could then either one of us could throw him. Well, that's about but what he did. It's what he did, but he still, he, he went from impossible. Even the whole press box was saying like, I mean, they got to warm up Angeli, right? We were all thinking they have to warm up Angeli. And then he ended up playing well enough for Notre Dame to win the close game. It was uh, really, really difficult to watch. And I, I, I'm still floored that he was able to turn it around because when he lost the fumble on the first play of the second quarter, you're like, this guy has just, he's just lost it. Um, there's, there's no, there's nothing to be redeemed here today. Uh, and then he goes out and he goes 13 to 14 for 123 yards from that moment on. So it was absolutely wild. Well, my only explanation is I believe it was after the fumbled snap where he was standing on the sideline and he's just kind of looking up to the heavens. And so that must've been what did it because he was really, he was really bad uh, uh, up to that point. And, and Tim, yeah. I mean, there are a lot of simple passes that could be made that he wasn't making early on. And, and really, you know, it, it took him being so bad in the passing game with a Lorenzo styles drop mixed in there, you know, that would have been a first down um, that it forced Tommy Reese and Marcus Freeman, I think in particular to just say, all right, we're going to see if we can run it. And lo and behold, they were able to run it and they got pushed from that offensive line. Like we haven't seen somebody asked me today, where did I have the um, Cal defensive line rated in the first rate? I had them sixth on the schedule. Um, it's a pretty good Cal defensive front. Although Tim, remember we talked about uh, you, you look at Cal's defensive line and they line up in a two, four, five, and they were, they, they were three and four down the whole game. I don't yeah, think they did yeah. that the whole much, but you think, man, you know, Notre Dame should be able to run against this team while well, they were able to. Yeah. And I, I was really surprised because we spent the second half of Marshall lamenting. How are they not getting a push? Not that there were just little things wrong, but they just, they weren't even getting a push, right? Like you no. we will go back and yeah. Patterson back was and a little at, against Marshall and alt a little bit, but 
it not was just so meaningless to get a Tyree or to get Estimate, not Tyree hitting at the ball until yesterday. Estime going and Diggs going. Um, I uh, it, it's Pete said, let's give it three games. Maybe we give it one more too because Jarrett Patterson's his third game with the uh, with the group now, and they're going to need that push again because. I don't like to say ball control and keep the ball away from North Carolina, but you certainly don't want to put your defense out there for 14 possessions against North Carolina because their 14 offensively is better than your 14 offensively. Now, Notre Dame's defense is much better than Carolina's defense. I get that. But, you know, what's the point total you got to hold them back to? So you need Notre Dame to have that push again from the offensive line and those two running backs. And then yeah, where can Reese and Pine go in the pass game? Because, like, Freeman references on Monday, it's like you can't play that way every week and not just lose it um to watch that for the next nine games i think would be just intolerable for marcus freeman and tommy (laughs) reese definitely be intolerable Um, i i put this in my final thoughts today but i wanted to chart the average distance of completion for drew pine in the game like how far beyond the line of scrimmage was the ball on average when it was caught on his 17 completions. You know, I know his average depth of target was 2.8, and it's the lowest I can recall. But I don't know. Ad- that's not what you're saying, right? No. I'm just, So it's like you you take out the incompletions, just the 17 completions. Okay. Okay. The average depth of completion was 0.65 yards. <laughs> oh, my God. Wait, what? How's that? I don't know what you mean by depth of completion. So when... The Audric Estime 31-yarder was a four-yard pass. Oh, you mean how, became... how much further forward? Yeah. So oh, if, not, and, not... and if you throw a screen pass seven yards behind the line of scrimmage, okay. that's a minus seven. Okay, I got you. I got so you. So, like, where where is the ball being caught relative to the line of scrimmage when Drew Pine is completing a pass, and it's less than one yard? <laughs> well, I know that of his 17 completions, 10 of them gained six yards or less. And so I, it was my question, Pete, uh, to, to Marcus Freeman today about the vertical game and where you go from here. And I thought, I thought Tommy Reese did a really nice job of being creative in that in that respect because their two longest completions were the 36-yarder to Estime and the 21-yarder to Tyree. So you have to do some things with the running backs, and they did a lot of damage with them on the field together, not only in the passing game, but running as well. And there are a lot of things that they can do out of that. You motion Tyree. And so you get the attention of the linebackers and then, you know, estimate can run an angle route. And because you've run Tyree up the other hash, you've, you've pulled the linebacking core away, f- away from estimate. And so when estimate runs a quick little angle route, he's uh, you know, he's free. He has, he has room to run before, <laughs> before falling Remember how mad I got at that, Tim? Yes, when, you, when you, Estime, uh, you, 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 you slammed I, the counter as I if did. that was like because November how, and Notre Dame was blowing yeah. the game to Boston College. Right. I, but, uh, but you're thinking he's got a score on this and he falls down. Yeah, that was but a weird. Did, it, it was not. It was he's a, he's a more graceful athlete than that. That was not. Yes, I don't know why it happened, but I don't know why he, it happened. Either. Why he why played happened. well. Tyree played well. The offensive line was outstanding. The defensive line. Uh, that was an advantage. That was a huge advantage on paper. We thought it was the week before against Marshall, and it we wasn't. Got one. <laughs> I got yeah, right, exactly. Right there, we go. But that was one where Nordame's defensive line should have dominated that offensive line, and they pretty much did. 
If they had called, if they had called all the holding penalties, Notre Dame would have, huh. I, I mean, or if I, how do I, I guess I said that wrong in my tail of the tape, but if you, if you force California not to hold Notre Dame would have had 10 sacks. Um, it's interesting that, uh, this is the time now where we you can see a little bit of the strengths we thought. Defensive line, I think we've had this conversation off air a lot. Secondary gets its test this week, right? I mean, it passed the biggest test it could ever have against Ohio State. And it's going to have another one this week because it's just a, it's a different, different look, tough situation, and they don't have eight months to game plan for it. So it's a little bit different. But the secondary clearly has outperformed what we thought they would, right? No matter what the completion percentage is against, no yes. matter the lack of no matter the lack of turnovers created. Ohio State had 21 points, right? It's, yeah, and, and I other think, teams can't pass them as well. It, and you got, go ahead. I'm sorry, Tim. Um, I mean, we were having a conversation before we went on the air, and, and Pete, you were saying that you're not sure how well the D, the B, DBs have played, and and I get that. And and Tim, you're right. The test, it's really a test uh, this week. But I think a lot of times that throws aren't made. Th- th- a lot of throws aren't made because. The coverage is good. So you're not going to say, oh, yep. they made a play on the ball. Right. Because the ball right. didn't come that way. But I think that's what's happening a lot in the secondary that throws aren't being made because the coverage is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's like the secondary is playing well. I'm just not sure if they're playing like amazingly well, pretty well, or, or what. Cause it's like the to- the lack of like havoc plays, right? No, no interceptions. No, like I think they have five pass breakups all year. Uh, and the last one was Brandon Joseph on the Hail Mary, which was like not actually a good play. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I think that group has definitely overachieved. Um, that's that's a positive, and I agree with O'Malley, they'll get like a huge, huge test this weekend. But yeah, it's like the pass rush and the secondary, those two things fit together, and I think Plumber definitely felt pass rush even when it wasn't there on Saturday, which contributed to the his, in, his inaccuracy. I mean, going into the game, I think Notre Dame was second to last in the nation in completion percentage against. And now they're 72nd. Yeah, like they shaved about like 13 percentage points off yeah. that by how well they played against Cal. Yeah, and I, that was, I was trying to get to that roundabout. I was not doing a good job. The defensive line, I now believe, will be what we thought it will be, what it, what it was going to be. The secondary... I think can be better than we forecasted coming to the season, even mm-hmm. though we're not certainly sure and we're not there yet. And then the offensive line showed promise. And those are three really important things other than quarterback. Yeah. And I, you know, I agree with you about the D line and I think that the D line will continue to play well. I mean, that, that was the biggest, that was, that was the biggest weird. surprise of the yeah. first two games. And in so doing that certainly will continue to help the secondary. I thought, the interior defensive line, I mean, Cross, Lacey, and Jason Amalola were just absolutely, yes, d- absolutely controlling the middle of the line of scrimmage. And again, that that's that was a weakness for Cal, and that's what should have happened. But that was a weakness for Marshall, and that's not what did did happen that that game. So, um, lot lot of really good things. Now, I don't know about the linebacker play, man. I, I said in tail of tape today, I think they're making plays that they're capable or that, that they should make. But beyond that, they're not making a whole lot of plays. And, and, and it's worse this time because the D-line controlled the line of scrimmage. I think 
I we all probably expected Leafau to be more on it than yeah. he's been. Um, I didn't expect him to miss tackles. Um, Bertrand qu- hasn't really snapped back into the guy that we saw last August. I'm talking about a year ago when right, he was right. so impressive before his, he had the wrist injury. I think Kaiser has been good. And then Bauer, I didn't talk to him last week, but I mean, it's clearly he's like playing through some discomfort, right? right. True. Um, yes. True. He has a, he has a shoulder but, problem for sure. But I, I'm with you, Tim. I, I think that I would, I think Kaiser is playing well, but I feel like the other three have not quite got there yet. So I assume Kaiser will take over uh, a larger role in nickel for Bertrand this first half of North Carolina. And then maybe because of that for the game, um, doesn't that seem like a more natural fit anyway? Jack Kaiser yes. being that role. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Now Absolutely. I, I had a call. We were walking out today and, and someone made a good point. I brought this up. I was like, why doesn't Kaiser just play more in the nickel anyway? You can run out of the nickel. Maybe they feel compromised with Tariq Bracey and Kaiser, not having Bertrand, not having Bertrand running up. And I mean, he Bertrand takes on a guard better than Kaiser. Not, he's not a better tackler than Kaiser, but he takes on a guard better than Kaiser and run fits are part of it. It's not all just, who you can track down when you're Jack Kaiser. So I'm sure that's part of it, but you know what? He's about to get his chance, I think, to do it. And last time he got his chance to play anything like that, he uh, was a game ball recipient when we came out of nowhere. So I do think Jack Kaiser playing nickel linebacker for Bertrand could be an accidental upgrade this coming week. That, that's interesting. You know, I, I realize that, <clears throat> I mean, a couple of years ago, you get spoiled with Owusu Koromoa, the way he's, He's making plays all over the field. They just they don't have a linebacker like that. And I guess you kind of expect Leofau to be that guy. And Marcus Freeman keeps talking about coming back from an injury. Is what are we talking about? Shin splints? Is that is that what he was? It's and I know be. that, that can plague, back from the injury injury that can plague an athlete over a period of time because if you don't yeah. if you don't rest it, it's it, it's it's difficult to overcome that. Um, I mean, Leofel said he was 100% well before camp when we when we asked him specifically about the injury that he suffered oh, last right. year. Yeah. We didn't ask him about shin splints or anything else. We said, when did you heal from? He said, I kind of get the, I kind of get the feeling that Leofel is at his best when he's rushing the quarterback. I do too. I I agree with you. So, you know, do you do you do you continue to put him in more positions to do that, whether it's up the middle or or coming off the edge? I don't know, but but I that seems to come really, really naturally to him. I think we knew that coming into the year. We just thought he'd be better at other things along yeah, with that's good his point. best rushing a quarterback. No, that's a good point. Uh, guys, what else you want to uh, talk about here in segment one? Any, any well, other topic before we head yeah, to our I, questions? I thought it interesting. I asked Marcus Freeman today, you know, is Diggs going to be available for this game? What do you've got? What do you have? Would you have used three when you got a hot hand? Because I think that was the real story. Not, not that if Diggs was available or not available, but. Would you have gone to a third running back when you had those two guys? That tag team certainly handled the workload properly, and I think they benefited from it. If, I know it's, I agree. it's fair to say that because they, they are successful. <laughs> if they weren't successful, you'd have said you needed Logan Diggs. So it would be interesting to see how they use a third runner. Going, I guess going forward is tough. It's a, it's a one-off. There's a, there's a bye week coming up. So how they'll use a third runner. And if we and I asked about Merriweather, if they can integrate another wide receiver, not as much this week because you know he looks like he made a mistake. But if you can use another wide receiver as you go forward past the bye week, at some point, bye week, week five, going into week six of a football season, you should be able to integrate someone, right? I think that's reasonable for Merriweather with Diggs. Like 
I, I understand his utility in two back sets, but if, if Notre Dame is just running 11 personnel or 12 personnel, like I think he is by far the third back. Like I think there's a pretty big gap between Estime and Diggs. And after last weekend, I feel like the coaching staff probably has even more trust in Tyree and Estime than they did before it started. And they had a lot before it started. So I think you're rolling with the guys you trust. And Reese himself said it last week. It's really hard to play three backs in a say, game. Yeah, he did say that last week. Look, if Diggs isn't if Diggs isn't going to run between the tackles on an inside zone blocking scheme, then I mean, you know, then you're giving the football to the wrong guy. If he's going to kick that outside when it's not blocked that way, then you're giving the ball to the wrong guy. But I would yeah. imagine the next opportunity Logan Diggs gets, he's going to, you know, probably do a much better job of taking advantage of the opportunity. This segment of Irish Illustrated Insider was brought to you by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, located on Fremont Street in historic downtown Las Vegas. Circa is the home of the world's largest sports book where you can watch up to 19 games at once. Want to be outside? No problem. There's no better place to take in all the college and NFL action than Stadium Swim. Six pools on three levels and a 40-foot tall high-def screen to watch all the action. Irish fans, when you come to town for the Nordane BYU game, Circa is the place for you. For reservations and more information, go to CircaLasVegas.com. Segment two, burning up the boards coming up. This is Mike Brown, former Notre Dame leprechaun, here to share the Leprechaun's Game Day at Notre Dame, an officially licensed children's book that celebrates the magic of a football Saturday at Notre Dame. Follow me on an adventure from Step Off Under the Golden Dome to ND Stadium with this perfect gift for fighting Irish fans. Visit www.lepgameday.com and enter Irish to get your author signed copy today. Go Irish! Here's another Irish tale from Do Dublin at dodublin.ie. In 1916, Irish rebel forces have taken up position on the north side of Dublin's St. Stephen's Green Park. They exchange fire with the British to the south. Suddenly, a man enters the park with a brown bag above his head. Both sides cease fire. The park's groundskeeper has come to feed the ducks. For the next six days, there is a daily ceasefire so the ducks can be fed. Learn more when you do Dublin with Do Dublin Tours. Burning Up the Boards is brought to you by Game Day Your Way. Notre Dame football fans, make your trip to South Bend easy this fall with the help of Game Day Your Way. Services include tailgates, transportation, tickets, and more, making Game Day Your one-stop shop for Notre Dame football weekend. Learn more at gamedayyourway.com and use promo code IRISHPOD22 to save 10% on your tailgate package. Segment two, burning up the boards. Our first question comes from Mark May Eater. Mark May Eater. It's kind of, it's uh, tricky. Can you please let me know the name of the Cal player that was offsides during Notre Dame's failed field goal attempt? I am an Irish fan, disclaimer, but that was a huge play call that potentially changes the outcome of the game. Uh, there was not a, pl- a Cal player offside. And Pete, I think you point out the number that was used by the official was not only not on the field, but not on the roster. Is that correct? So in I when I listened to the replay, I thought the official said 15, but the official score heard 50, which I feel like is a common mistake. So oh. in the box score, it's listed listed as number 50, who is definitely not on the field. There is a 50 <laughs> on the roster, but I think the official said 15, who was absolutely not offside. Like <laughs> I watched, I guy, I must have watched that 20 times to figure out who they were talking about. I thought maybe one of the interior guys would lean in, but 
Yeah, that's what I was looking, trying to look at in that still shot. If like one of those helmets was forward more, but I couldn't see one. But there but was it's definitely I, not fifteen because he is he is the okay the end of the cow line to the far left toward the cow sideline. He's the last guy, and he's like I think a yard or two back from the line. I mean, clearly that was a huge break. And I also thought, I mean, I don't know what you guys thought about the offensive interference penalty that was called against Cal in the, I think at the beginning of the fourth quarter. I, I was, was confused by that one. Yep. Yeah. I immediately yeah, thought that, of the Salerno play. So I was confused because I saw yeah, two that was not, instead of two in a decade. Yeah. That was not offensive interference. So, I mean, so, yeah, yeah, these are bad breaks for Cal, but I also think that Nordame's D line was held four to six times more that then were called i don't even know how many they called they called one on uh, uh osafa mensa drew one but i it, it was pretty blatant the one time that mills was held that was another time that i screamed out during the game tim and i look across the way and uh marcus freeman's just calmly giving the holding sign you know i think everybody saw that yeah and it, i thought I don't really, just as a personal preference, I try not to like look at holding calls that weren't uh, called because it's just no, like, understandable. It's never ending. No. But the two Cal long receptions, the 15 yarder to Sturdivant and the 33 yarder uh, to number three, like the ball is moving around as the player's going to the ground and Cal yeah, that, sort of duped the officials by running hurry up and getting the next playoff before it could be reviewed. So I, uh, that, that I don't understand. I mean, like, just by the. Just Why by the nature, I haven't seen a team run hurry up to beat the official review on an important call like that in a very long time. It's just a giveaway. Like, yeah, yeah. it's like when the DB is like holds his hands up in the air, like I didn't interfere. Well, like, okay, well you interfered with them. I can't tell you which game, but I have seen it recently. I've seen it this year, so I think it's a trend that is starting. But just by the nature of the catch that Jeremiah Hunter had to make as a as a replay official, yeah. I, you know, I think, I think refs now have to start taking in consideration, oh, the offense is now playing hurry up, you know, maybe that maybe they know it's incomplete or they're suspecting that it could be incomplete, but yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of on the, the official in the booth, right? Right. To stop yes. it. Yes. That's gotta be signaled down. Which people, you know, it's people, like Lindsay's catch at Ohio state, the 30 yarder was like a similar catch that way, where it's like, he's falling forward and the ball's moving around a little bit and you know just it did the fact that that doesn't get a second look not that i'm advocating for more reviews and longer college football games but yeah it just that both those moments seemed odd to me yeah. but nothing was nothing was worse than the field goal one because that's like you're just making up something up like yeah I, I would, you're not I interpreting would love... anything you're just seeing something that's not there no and you kind of at, at one point as wilcox is arguing it I can't tell you exactly what I saw from the official, but it just seemed to me like the official, he didn't have an ex. He had no explanation. Yeah. Will, Wilcox did him. not want to answer anything about it post game really, but I'd be, I like to uh, watch his or see the transcript or watch his press conference today. Cause it was, it's going to be interesting. I'm sure. Did he, he so he declined to talk about it at halftime. Did he, he did the same thing after the game? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's like, it was, it was not an accurate call, but I'm not going to get into it. Not, it oh, wasn't okay. like he was, but I, I bet you he gets into it. Yeah. <laughs> He's had an entire day and a half to look at something. Yeah. Question from Dashing Domer. Will Tommy Reese win back some hearts with his expletive laden pick me up to Drew Pine? I don't know that I'd call that a pick me up. I guess it was a pick me up ultimately. 
the best part of that whole thing was that Drew Pine saw that already on his phone within 15 minutes of the game ending because that's amazing. <laughs> he just already saw. That. I know he says after the game, we all cracked up. Yeah, I saw. Yeah, the I saw. I saw really the cool. replay. <laughs> yeah, that it was, was amazing to me. Like NBC, Jack Collinsworth was like, "Man, I wonder what's happening on the other side of that conversation." And like, lo and behold, boom! Here's what's happening. <laughs> and then Collinsworth yeah, just laughed, and they quickly cut away from it. Um, yeah, that was. Yeah. That was something I, I want to ask Tommy. I want to ask Tommy Reese that, you know, I mean, I'm sure like they put a camera up there and yeah, he does Nordame Nordame signs off on that. Right. I mean, I think I, he knows, he knows well it's up there and he just didn't care because he's well, he, for all of us at that moment. <laughs> no, exactly. As I mean, a, are as you a, kidding? As like, a coach, there's no but, other way of going about that. As a coach, you reach a point, you reach a point where, diplomacy is right oh. the hell out the door and that was it now that you know at the time i thought or not not having actually rewatched the game i thought oh well that came after the fumbled snap but that was the fifth series no this came after the third series so reese <laughs> i mean i, w- I would have lacked the same patience patience in his spot as well and you know, fortunately, Drew Pine's a guy that can take that. I don't know how Tyler Buckner necessarily reacts. Not that, well, but Tyler no. Buckner did not start start out like that. No, that's true. Tyler at, Buckner, at Ohio uh, State. Tyler Buckner's first play of the Ohio State game being fifty four yards. I don't think right. uh, Tommy Reese would have said that to him. No, during the game. no, exactly not. So, um, I, whether he won some hearts back, well, I think all, Tim, all, think all about it, it. Takes, Tommy Reese could take it. He took it. Yeah, yeah. Tommy Reese took that. Dane Chris did not. Tommy nah. Reese took that from Brian Kelly. He yelled right oh, now. Not mean, every quarterback well, could take that coaching. Not every yeah. quarterback could take that. No, no, absolutely not. And Drew Pine can. And so, and I'm sure <laughs> in the deep, in the deep recesses yeah. of Tommy Reese's mind, although he was re- reacting instinctually, I'm sure that deep in there, he realized I can chew this guy's butt and it, you know, and, and he's, and he's going to handle it. Okay, but I was thinking that that during the game, I was thinking because we I didn't know when we saw the replay. I thought it came after the fifth series. So, I thought it came after the he airmailed mayor on third was that, down. Yeah, it was that series. It was that, okay, yeah, that yeah. was the third series. Yeah. Which uh, like to be honest, to me was like less forgivable than the fumble. Like you have an all American tight end who's wide open, who's six foot five. And you missed, missed him by like five feet. Yeah, because you got to hit him twice on that every single game to score yes. points if yeah. you're Notre Dame right now. That I don't know that I don't know that wins any hearts back. Maybe for seven days, but as we know, yes, uh, perception changes every seven days. So I don't know that he won too many fans back. I, I did I did see on our message board that there was a thread in which people were agreeing that Tommy Reese called a really good game. We have a question on that, which I'm I'm gonna I'm, I don't want to say anything. Further on that, we have a question on that. I'll, okay. I'll bring that up. Next from Any Davis 2 and Irish Fan 102. We have a couple of questions that are related here. What factors contributed to the offensive line finally having a push? And Irish Fan 102, what technical changes in the trenches improved the performance? Was it better execution, better pre-play communication, or experience settling in? You know, I think, as we frequently say, it's a, it's, it's a combination of a lot of those questions. Um, Communication's got to be in there, Tim, in that there were not as many free running after the first quarter as there were in the first eight quarters. No, that's true, except for the first series when... That's what I mean. The first first quarter had it. uh, 
we talked about it. We're like, oh my gosh, there's another one. There's another linebacker right. just coming in. And then after that, that was not as much of a deal. No, I, I was, I, I know what you're saying. I, the first series in, in particular was when Zeke Corral yeah. showed, showed little instinct to a blitzing linebacker. I mean, he had to feel the breeze of, of Jackson Sermon running by him, but he never twitched. He, he never twitched a reaction to that linebacker blitz. And Sermon's a, Sermon's a really good football player. Yeah. Uh, but they they schemed him. Tommy Reese schemed him out of plays on several occasions with with the running backs, and um, you know. But I mean, yeah, it's better. I, again, people don't like to hear about execution, but how can you not? They were blowing them off the football, and, and I, I am just Zeke Corral's performance against Ricky Correa makes it doesn't seem to make any sense based upon what we saw heading into this game. Why don't people? like to hear about execution you think because they think it's a cop-out but it's right. it's it's 11 on 11 it's not a cop-out man it's not a cop-out it is it is the essence of great teams alabama has great players but they execute the hell out of their place and i think i mean obviously you can go to coaching and you get them to execute but right maybe it's just easier to blame a coach than a player in college is that the thing you can you can get rid of one coach faster than you can add 85 players that aren't executing no but i mean execution doesn't sound like a solution to a to a lot of people because it's just <laughs> like so wait you're because it it could be interpreted as you're just going to keep trying to do the same things better and people don't want the same things better. They want something new. They want that's a new not, player but that's out not, there. Yeah, and that's not how it works. It's yeah. continuing to do the same things to, until you do it well and consistently. And we talked about this Thursday's podcast about like how long would you stick with the line before you came to a decision? And I think we were sort of in agreement. You'd like to give the current iteration of the line multiple games before coming to a conclusion on it. that was game number two for that line and it got a lot better um and i think there were some people on the message board who were like why wait i was like well this is the reason why you would wait because like these players can sort of grow into their roles a little bit that's not and that's not to say that you should always do that um but in this instance that was the right move from need a turnover were you surprised by how little read option we saw in the Cal game? Do you expect to see more this week? Good luck. I wasn't totally surprised I, by that. No, I, oh, I, I, I want oh. less. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a, I'd be surprised if Buckner ran that few. I'm not surprised at all that Drew Pine ran that few. I don't, you can't run read option with Drew Pine. I think, <laughs> I think you pull it out at the right time. You know, that's a, that's that's a losing do. proposition with him. Yeah. If you don't leave the, if you don't leave the option of the quarterback, keeping it, which, which you don't have with Drew Pine. I mean, I'm not, I wasn't surprised at all. And I don't want to see it because he's not a threat when he pulls it and runs. Yeah. I mean, I think you have that option when you've, when you've run the ball and not had Drew Pine run for about two and a half games, you can pull it out when you really need one. I mean, every he's viable. Like when Tommy Reese said he's more nimble than he's given credit for, that's what he meant. He meant he can get away and he he'll get away and get 11 yards every game, right? On a scramble. Yeah, but well, like I, there was a time where he kept it because because it was like kind of a funky snap where he didn't yep. handle it properly. He's dead when that happens. Yeah. Right. Um, yes. There has to be some sort of sleight of hand. Like I was, I was actually surprised how many sort of zone read concepts they stuck with, just giving but giving the ball obviously at a much higher percentage, and it was it was pretty effective because of how the line played. 
it's tough not to run read option in today's game. It that is. Has to be I mean, yeah. every, yeah. I mean, everybody, because it just makes so much sense. If the quarterback makes a good decision, generally speaking, look, if, if both blocks are blown, then it doesn't matter. Right. But if one block is made and the quarter quarterback makes the right read, it's hard not to run. It's hard not to have read option as an integral part of your offense, but I just do not, I do not see Drew Pine running that um, effectively. Could I jump back? I want to, I want to make a point from the previous question. Actually, I'm jumping back. In, when we were talking about the offensive line, you know, there it's always like, put so-and-so in, he can't be any worse than that's just not a true statement. Yes, they can be worse. It's like, put this new offensive lineman in, he can't be any worse than if he was better in practice, then he would be playing already. If he's not playing, if the starter is screwing up in games, but he's playing better than his backup on the practice field, you can't, you can't start the guy that isn't proving it when you're, when you're running your plays on the practice field. He wasn't taken out of the game last year, but Michael Carmody was the reserve who did not play great in his first start. He was injured and Tosh Baker came in. If you had never seen Tosh Baker play and you liked Tosh Baker in recruiting, you'd say, well, let's play Tosh Baker. He can't be doing worse than Carmody right. who had a bad half. And, well, that, and I understand worse. that. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. I understand that reaction to it. But the reality is it's like put Angeli in. He can't be any worse. Well, in the first five series, that was probably true. <laughs> but generally speaking, that's not true. Steve Angeli's never played a game. I, I, I'm sure they, I'm sure they picked instances. If it's a 60-40 breakdown in practice, I'm sure they picked instances in practice where Angeli was put in that situation. Now, nothing was going to happen on the practice field last last week yeah that was not to to bump pine out of the starting spot i get that but it can be believe it or not as bad as it can look it can it can be worse if you don't know what's going on for example and i may be walking over another another question just jump to this jump to dutter 25 uh well i was actually referring to a, a different one but we'll get back to that all right um now let's go back to irish guy 82 82 which you asked me if Tommy Reese calls the game like he did in the second half of the Cal game, would Notre Dame have beaten Marshall? So the first, so the third quarter and the first half of the fourth. I mean, well, you'd be mixing in Tyler Buckner running. I mean, Tyler Buckner is the only guy that got first downs in that game. Right. Yeah. That's it's, that's a hard, comparison. it's a hard thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a good, you know what? If we take this question properly, if you would mix in Tyler Buckner running and using estimate Tyree and short pass to Lorenzo Styles that gets you your biggest gain in 18 yards before the estimate play. Yeah, I think that that's a good that's a way they could have beaten Marshall. But if Buckner would have been running the ball. Why would you, you have to have him run the ball? He'd still be your is, best running back. Is the offensive line going to play as well? As yeah, that's just Cal? exactly. I mean, yeah. they got they got no I, push against Marshall. No, I, no, I don't. Yeah, the offensive line would have to play like they did against Cal, which they did yeah, not do. Exactly. And, and this is why I object to play calling, because, yeah, Tommy Reese called a great game. Well, and I agree with that, but it, it sure as hell helps when it's second and four. and You just ran the ball. I mean, it, it and that's yeah, why. How, it, how, good, well, how good of a game did he call in the first five series when Drew Pine was right. afraid no, to have exactly. the ball? In his hands. It, it, and that's why it always comes back to execution. And it's why. 
41 years into this business, I still hesitate to question play calling because there are so many other factors involved with it. And if your offensive line, the offensive line got no push against Marshall. So that game plan would not have worked because Estime and Tyree wouldn't have combined for 35 carries and 140 yards rushing. I have a question for you for play calling. End of the half this past game. What was the you point of that? I, Is it that Drew Pine cannot you know what I did? trust I him did. to throw it there properly? Like he, you know, he has to, obviously Drew Pine has to wind up to get, to get it 50 yards, but Drew Pine can throw it 50 yards. We, we know Drew Pine can throw the ball 50 yards. It's harder in a game because you have to have total ability to step up. Were they that worried that something could go wrong when Drew Pine is stepping up to throw it? Because otherwise there's no reason not to take a Hail Mary. I don't think that was it. I think it was Marcus Freeman wanted to get in the locker room and he wasn't thinking about that. A punt's more dangerous than Hail Mary. I, I, I'm just, mm. we're talking about a one a, guy, a very, one guy blows a blocking assignment on a punt. We're talking about a very inexperienced yeah. coach. And it was, he had it in his mind that this is our offense has gone to crap. Let's just get in the, let's just, you know, let's punt it, pin them back there. They're going to take a knee and we're going to get out of here. I, yeah, it's like in a vacuum. I didn't understand it at all the way Pine was playing. Cause at that point, it wasn't Drew Pine finishing 13 of 14 for 123 yards, yeah. Drew Pine. It was Drew Pine doesn't know the cadence. Drew Pine can't catch a snap. Drew Pine can't hit a guy in the flat. Drew Pine can't like I I get it in the sense of like Drew Pine was not somebody you're gonna be like, let's put more on Drew Pine in this instance. Also, like who's the receiver who's going to catch it? Claypool. Oh, right. Good call. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You can get it down there. Come on. No, I, yeah. I was, I mean, it's just a weird, it's a weird thing. All right. It's a bigger picture thing. You don't trust Drew Pine to throw a Hail Mary at the end of the half. All right. I get it, Pete. He was playing terribly. You don't trust Drew Pine to throw one pass into the flat either when you know your defense is going to come and have to come back on the field three times in the fourth quarter. And I don't disagree with Marcus Freeman and Tommy Reese. I think they thought to themselves, if we just punt and John Sott does what he does best, because you know how good John Sott is. If John Sott keeps doing that, they're not going to beat us. And he was right but it says something that they did not think Drew Pine could throw one ball in the flat when, when Mark, no, Marshall, when Cal is sending nine guys into the line on first down. I mean, that was, it was begging them to do it. And I guess they were smart enough not to be suckered into having. Uh, it's like, how, many, how many times have we seen Drew Pine have a ball batted at the line of scrimmage? Yeah. Practice? yeah no, but yeah. that's, I'm just saying it's more of a going forward thing. There's, there's a trust issue there. All right. Oh, question yeah. for you guys. Uh, he was, he was actually, he actually connected on 14 of his last 15. What was the incompletion? Was it the drop by styles? No, no. Okay. It was, oh, it was, to, Len it was to Lindsay, which it was, was the almost picked. picked. It was almost, it oh. could have been picked. And then, and then Lindsay almost, came up with it, but that was the lone interception or uh, incompletion. That, that was one of the three passes Pine attempted that traveled more than 10 yards beyond the line of scrimmage. Wow. So Tyree was one. Uh, Tyree right? was one. And then Tyree was and one. There was one to Styles. Well, the mayor one was over his head. That was over 10 yards. Uh, I don't okay, know if four. it was. Okay. Uh, yeah, um, it would have been. Sure, it would have been. Maybe Tyree's yeah. was nine. Tyree's could have been nine yards downfield. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we have a, a double question here. Or I've put two questions together. Dutter 25, if Drew Pine starts the North Carolina game, what would it take for Marcus Freeman to insert Steve Angeli? And don't give me the playbook answer because anyone could have executed the simplified playbook against Cal. And then from Panthers 23-23, if Drew Pine has another half like the first half of the Cal game in North Carolina, will we get to see the hero of the blue gold game make his debut? 
I think you would see Steve Angeli make his debut in North Carolina if Notre Dame lost to Cal and Drew Pine instead of being 17 of 23 was 12 of 23 with another with a pick and they lost the game. Then I think if he played badly in the first half, you would go to another quarterback because you have nothing left. You're 0 3 and you're playing badly. And go. It's, it's a different situation now. Drew Pine should have confidence. Drew Pine should not play in the first quarter no. like he did against North Carolina where he's afraid of everything. That what, what's more important, the way he started or the way he finished? Or the way he I mean, finished. Let's, let's well, say I mean, of course. Didn't. I mean, let's yeah. be real. Right. Uh, Drew Pine will start against North Carolina, by the way, to Dutter. Yes, he will, he will start against North Carolina unless he uh, comes up lame during practice this week. Pete? I mean, I would, I would be stunned if Drew Pine didn't pick up where he left off. I was also stunned that Drew Pine started the way that he started. Like, I just it just blew my mind that a college junior would play that way for a quarter and a half. But, um, like, they, they redid the entire offense to suit Drew Pine. It doesn't make any sense then to have Steve Angeli run Drew Pine's offense. Like, that makes no sense at all. No, I don't think he's going in. But my, my scenario was if Drew Pine lost that game, that's the time I think another bad half leads to Steve Angeli. Yeah, because oh, then you, sure. lit- you literally can't – You when we talked about uh, can't get any worse. Well, actually, you can't get any worse than 0-3. That's as bad as it gets. So. <laughs> From a record standpoint, um, certainly understandable. Um, hey, hey, Tim, real fast yeah. on the, the playbook can't be any more simple. It's not about a playbook. It's about Steve Angeli going out there and having any idea where the blitz is coming from and what to call out to help himself out to not only not get killed, which they might not care about right, right. now, but to not fumble the football. Right. So there's a million things. Right. And, and, be and worse. checks, you know, okay. So the, the pace slows down and Drew Pine looks to the sideline. I, he is in a much better situation to under, to, to receive that information yeah. communicated to him than Angeli is just because I mean, Angeli's never been in a game. I know it looked like Drew Pine had never been. In <laughs> I was a just going to say it was only it's certainly I'm not like, I'm not, I mean, it, it was really, really bad, but like you said, Tim, how many snaps do you have going into that game? Eight, yeah, nine you had nine career? Snaps going in, you know, you had another, I don't know that that, I don't know that that justifies. No, nothing should be that bad. Start. No, it shouldn't. It shouldn't. But Drew Pine will start and, if he struggles like that out of the gate again, no, they probably won't change it because the last time he did it, yep. he he pulled it together. So <laughs> let's put it this way. He was bad enough where if he did that against Alabama, you'd be screaming, do your blanking job because it just looked terrible. You know what I mean? It wasn't, it wasn't just, it was just, everything was so poorly done and it looked like he had no shot, no shot of improving. And all of a sudden he, he improved. So good I for agree. Him. I agree. Uh, question from Jay Marasco. Is it safe to think that Tobias Merriweather's lack of quality playing time means he is struggling with the offensive playbook, injury, work ethic, or traits needed to make a significant contribution? I asked Marcus Freeman this today because I was, we didn't see Deion Colsey get in on a kickoff return as a blocker with a knee brace on. So not sure when he's going to rejoin the, uh, the fray as a wide receiver. But I asked Freeman, and he definitely indicated that it's playbook and translating playbook from practice field to playing field, I think, is the tough thing. It's not that I bet you Tobias Merriweather does better in, in practices translating the play when it's set into him. And what, it's just a different situation when you're in your first game at Notre Dame. And, and Freeman mentioned the word trust, right? Yeah, and it, it was suggested that uh, Merriweather was supposed to motion on one of the plays that he was in. First of all, 
during the game, I didn't know that I didn't know he was in because yeah, I'll read the I'll read the because you can't read the jersey numbers. You couldn't read the they are oh my god intelligible to the human eye. So Tobias Merriweather was a guy that we wanted to play even more than we did. Said Freeman. All of a sudden, the game is close. The game's on the line. You're going to play people that you trust the most. What does that mean? Guess what? Our coaches have to earn more trust in Tobias. We have to be better so that we can have more trust in Tobias. And Tobias has to meet the coaches halfway. So if he goes into a game and is supposed to motion and doesn't, you're going to put the entire, the entire play or Braden Lindsay. Yep. It's, it's just the way it goes. Now, can you throw a jump ball to him somewhere? Yeah, probably. But is it the half? Hail Mary yeah. Samson. at the end of the first Mary. half would have been a good time. For that. <laughs> you imagine if Tobias Merriweather caught a Hail Mary at the end of the half from Drew Pine. We couldn't even have a podcast. <laughs> or if he went out and ran a curl route. <laughs> no. Just run yeah, the like, there, I, I still believe that the although I, I can't compare. I was gonna say it's kind of like everybody saying Chris Tyree Chris Tyree needs more touches, and all of a sudden he has as many in the first half as you did the first two games, but Tyree's a guy that they can trust. That was clear. That was not even yeah. Reese used mark. the word trust with Tyree last week. Like that, that was telegraphed a million. That was like, it was, yeah. that was not a situation where the coaches were like, you know, I'm listening to this podcast. People keep saying Chris Tyree needs more touches. No, like they, they were like, yes, yes. We want to get Chris Tyree more touches, but it does. You know, I, I again the reaction of the Kell defense to every movement that Chris Tyree made when he was on the field with Estime. Tommy Reese played Peter Sermons with his double running back and, and um with his two running backs on the field and throwing the football to the running backs. I mean, he because like, you can trust Chris Tyree to do every movement correctly, right. whether he gets right. the ball or not. Right. But look, they need Tobias Merriweather to study up and get on the field so they can take advantage of, of his abilities. And it's not easy. Had he come in in the, in the spring that that could have been enough of a difference for him to be ready to go. And let me just say work ethic. That's not what it is with Tobias Merriweather traits. That's not what it is with Tobias Merriweather. I think, I think we can safely say that as well. Yes. From Dallas Irish 83. If you had to pick one position group whose improvement would have the most significant positive impact on the rest of the season, which group would you choose and why? A little bit more of what the offensive line did on Saturday would yeah. go a long way towards this team starting to look like and, and starting to play like the team we thought they were when the season started. Yeah, offensive line, I think, is, you know, I'm trying to talk myself in another position, but I can't. And like the offensive line, like they took a big step forward. But that was not like a perfect game by any stretch no, of the no. imagination. Like they still think... have a lot of room to grow. Right. Three false starts on third down from offensive linemen and one from Lindsay. That is not a perfect game by no, by no means not. whatsoever. That's no, amazing. but again, most of that came in the first. Yeah. I mean, two of the false starts came in the first, those first five, the five series from hell. <clears throat> first half counts too in these games. That's why Notre Dame no, it really does. It really does. But how you finish counts more than how you started, yes. unless how you started prevents you from winning the game yeah offensive line a clear answer for me unless i could actually have a position group get significantly better from the last game because then i would let the defensive line get significantly better from the last game and no teams other than usc and clemson would gain yards so i would go with that one but offensive line realistically yep uh cua georgetown 83 are people noticing that we're that i'm choosing some different names here all right here we go what is your impression of the re relationship between Tommy Reese and Marcus Freeman? My intuition is that Marcus 
is micromanaging or intervening during the game in a way that is disruptive to Reese and may conflict with the autonomy Reese expected when he decided to stay at Notre Dame. That's not my impression. I think Marcus Freeman is the head coach and he better understand what Tommy Reese is looking to do on a drive. And he's also learning how to coexist with an offensive coordinator who is calling the plays without Marcus Freeman's input, really, right? Other than, hey, man, it's time to run the ball. And then Tommy Reese is able to overturn him. Freeman said post game, I said, run, 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 run it, get go, 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 go. He's like, no, coach, we have a check, we're throwing. Yeah, I think that working. it's much more big picture with Freeman. And he references in the press conference on Monday last week, he spent the majority of his time with the defense. Like he was probably even less involved than usual with the offense. So it's, you know, it's leaning into the run game. It's, you know, big picture stuff. I don't, and I don't think Reese expected to be head coach of offense when he stayed. Right. Um, also, I don't think that Freeman is holding the offense back in any way, shape, or form other than they wanted to play very a lot of ball control at Ohio State, which made sense. But the part, this question makes me think of all the times it was it was said to us that uh, what what was the term that that Brian Kelly was. What was the term used? He had shackles on, yeah, shackles. shackles on on Tommy Reese. That was not that was not the case. It may, you know, maybe maybe the Iowa State game, maybe early the next season when he was a full time, uh, you know, coordinator for the first time. But all of that, most of that stuff, most of Kelly's coaching with the offense was during the week, and and he had input as to what the game plan would be. But I also think that Brian Kelly is an offensive play caller, at least in the past, recognizes that you need to step back and get out of the way and let the play caller do what he mm-hmm. does. I'm not sure Marcus Freeman uh, necessarily understands that yet, but um, he's the head coach and he's entitled to say whatever he needs to say within reason without disrupting what Tommy Reese needs to do as a coordinator. Yeah. It's hard as a head coach of an O and two team to not give your input when your ass is on the line and you think to yourself, maybe we should give the ball to estimate as opposed to having this guy throw another pass in my face. Let me watch this guy throw another pass for the rest of his life. I mean, you, you really have to look at that first quarter and think, Tommy run the ball boring as heck. We'll punt. Let's not give them the ball. And then he fumbles a snap. So I I get it with Marcus Freeman when you're and two, you are, you are, I would take a little more control. Like, I'm not going 0-3. They say, and remember the Titans. I've never seen the defensive coordinator's name in the paper after a loss. Marcus Freeman took control of that situation. He was, I don't blame him. Denver Maximus. You know what I always said to my assistant coaches? They don't, I've said this before. They don't put numbers after your name. The the record. The, the record, yeah. Jim Priester, 85 and, yeah. you know, whatever. They don't put numbers after the pitching coach's name. Go ahead, Tim. Denver Maximus. DJ Brown played arguably his best game versus Cal. He was physical and smart. How would you grade the rest of the secondary so far, including Morrison starting over Clarence Lewis? Pete, go ahead. I would give them a B plus and probably relative to what my expectations were at A. Um, and I, I honestly, maybe it's because the numbers were illegible from the press box. I didn't even know Ben Morrison started. Yeah. He started over Clarence Lewis. Well, you if you had Clarence been, Lewis played a lot. So. If they yeah, Clarence Lewis had, played more. If they hadn't reseated you in the press box, you would have been nearest and you were you would have heard yeah. us say it. 
Yeah, I was completely missed out on the uh, north I, side of the stadium. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I would say, uh, but man, it was so hard to. I, it was in my tail of the tape today, Pete. That on behalf, I think I can speak for the rest of the media that we don't want green jerseys with blue numbers. No. We don't want to see them. I don't care how much it. Amazing how like easy they are to read on the TV copy. I know, I know, but for, we are on the ninth floor, and you can, you know, I have watched entire games through binoculars. But it's a rough way to to go about watching the game. Um, yeah, I do I do that often. Um, yeah. It was it was tough this time though. That time when I was like, "Hey, man, Bertrand looked fast there." You're like, "Oh, that's Bracy Tim. He is fast." There's something. <laughs> no. but it was really it was really difficult no. to see what was going on. It, it wasn't quite that difficult. But I would I would I would say B plus. I mean, you can't. Yeah, I mean, you gotta you can't you gotta get some takeaways in order to to be higher than that. And I think they played well enough. Where, I mean, as you mentioned, Pete. A, 21 points against Ohio state, or was it you, Tim? I don't know, but uh, yeah, I mean, they played well enough. And again, I go back to, I think a lot of throws that aren't made are because the coverage is very, very good. I think they've done a good job. I mean, I think Bracey's been really, really good. Yes. D- DJ Brown was really, really good Saturday. Like Hart was probably the one that blew the coverage on the first touchdown. Uh, but he's, he's very influential on the field. Clarence Lewis played really well on Saturday. I don't know that Brandon Joseph has played to the level that playmaking level that I expected. Ramon Henderson did some really good things Saturday after not doing some very good things uh, previously. A little bit of ground to make up there, but he did. He's uh, that dime linebacker spot is a, is a good one for him. I think. Yeah. He rushed the passer. Well, made a, made a tremendous uh, pass breakup on Kel's last drive when they got down to the 21 he did some good things. So I think, you know, that secondary is really trending. I think Ben Benjamin Morrison has a chance to be a star. I don't think I'm, I don't think that I'm over. Uh, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that long-term that he has a chance to be a star. Yeah, I, I do. Th- I, I totally agree with you. I think uh, Clarence Lewis, well, Bracey had the best game because he all three of the games have been the best, I think. And I think Clarence Lewis was next the next game, though, in his non-starting role. He had 38 snaps, it looks like, and Morrison 26. So Morrison must have had a really good um, week of practice. And maybe Lewis did not have such a great week of practice. But credit to Lewis that he responded. Morrison is just, I mean, his I mean, He's going to be better. He's going to be better. We, that, yeah, I don't his, think we're fighting that. I, even, the, again, even a 33-yarder, he was beaten off the line of scrimmage. And he narrowed the gap and he's got, he's got to make a, you got to throw a hand up or something at some point, you don't turn around, but you got to throw a hand up to, to, to break up the pass and the pass was perfect. But uh, no, I think they're doing a pretty good job. Final question from thunder 2002. What do you believe Notre Dame needs to do to win versus North Carolina? I want to throw out a stat that I included in my column uh, on Sunday. And that is this, that North Carolina and, and albeit against lesser competition, North Carolina is averaging 51.3 points per game. Notre Dame has scored 55 points in three games. So they are, they have barely scored more than what North Carolina is averaging. So got to play better defense. You're going to have to score a lot more points than you have been in the first three games. Avoid a Drew Pine first half. Like if you had, if Drew Pine could do his second half twice against North Carolina, which assumes the offensive line allows that kind of play calling to be effective, then I think Notre Dame will be fine. Um, But we've seen that one time for one half. So I think just sort of assuming it's going to happen is 
a bit wishful. It's not that they can't do it, but you got to go out there and prove that you can more than once. Yep. Two repeats would be the defensive line and the offensive line for the second half. And I think they'll beat North Carolina. And I believe it was pick them when this, uh, the day started on the pilot. Are you surprised at that line, Tim? Yeah. I thought Carolina would be a slight favorite. Yeah. Did it well, go back to pick them? Because like it opened at pick them and then Notre Dame was suddenly favored by two. At like uh, 11 o'clock, I was the first time I saw it, it was pick them, but I don't know what that you guys changed into recently. And not everybody's lines are the same. Are you? I don't. I'm not. I don't know if you guys are looking at the same, same lines or the same outlet right. that's putting the lines out. Too. Yeah, they got. I mean, they got to win both lines of scrimmage again, and that goes back to what Marcus Freeman has said, probably at least ten times to us since August that it's an O line D line driven program, at least at this stage of his head coaching career until they can flip the switch with skill position athletes on offense. Yeah. It better be O-line D-line Notre Dame. I, I think Notre Dame, I think they can win both, both again. I don't know if they can do it quite as decisively um, as they did against Cal, but it, it definitely starts there. And then, you know, matchups, Bracey has to be great on Josh Downs. Sounds like Josh Downs will be back in play. Leah Fowler, remember how, what a significant, um, impact he had on the game in 2020 at North Carolina with the slant game, which uh, I have more to watch of North Carolina, but having seen them, yeah, they're definitely still throwing slants because it works well, especially when you have Josh Downs. So they got to be really good. They're going to have to be better than, than North Carolina in the trenches. You're saying they're going to throw more slants than Notre Dame. (laughs) Yeah, I would, I would imagine, I would imagine. So, yeah. All right. We're going to be back on uh, Thursday, September 22nd to get in more thoroughly with uh, Notre Dame versus North Carolina. I just want to throw this out as a reminder with a, with an off week coming up and then a trip to Vegas coming up, we will be podcasting on Monday and Wednesday of the next two weeks because uh, I get a grandbaby to see next week and um, the following week, some money well, to win for that granddaughter, right? There you know. Yeah, right. And then the following week, yeah, we're going out a little, a little bit earlier than normal uh, to Vegas. So we will have podcast Monday and Wednesday of the next two weeks. We appreciate you joining us again for Irish Illustrated Insider until Thursday. Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, Pete Sampson, Irish Illustrated Insider. <laughs>